Welcome to Series 5 of the Bible and Me podcast from Precept Ministries UK. The series that uses incredible life stories to give God the glory. Before we dive into this week's episode, if you haven't done so already, be sure to click that subscribe button so that you don't miss out on any of the amazing testimonies in the future. And now, without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, what a privilege it is for me to welcome Christy Mayer to the program today. Christy was born in Hungary and moved to the UK age seven. Uh, After attending Ashby Grammar School, she studied theology and philosophy at Birmingham University, uh, also gaining a first in Arabic at the same time. A year later, uh, she embarked on a master's in philosophy and religion and ethics at Birmingham University, uh, gaining an academic academic scholarship to do so. She's currently a part-time research and pastoral fellow at Oak Hill Theological College, and also an itinerant apologist. And if you don't know what that is, we'll find out in a minute. Uh, whilst not doing a PhD, uh, Christy loves reading. Uh, she loves dogs and art galleries. And uh, if you ever have her to dinner, do not serve her beetroot because she doesn't like that so much. Christy, welcome to the programme. Thank you so much for having me today, Nigel. All right. Now, Christy, how did you come to faith in Christ mm. and why do you follow Jesus? Oh gosh, that's such a good question. I am, um, well, I mean, I, you know, some people have this moment in time when they're like, this was the exact moment that I knew the Lord. It was on this date at this particular time. This is what happened. And my story is much more gradual than, than that. When I moved over to the UK, my mum remarried and he adopted me. So I, I became a mayor, part of the mayor clan. And he was like the dad that I never had really. And when I was about 10 years old, he just went out to post a letter and literally just had a heart attack and died before he hit the ground. So I, part of my story really is I remember my mum gathering me in the lounge alongside all the paramedics and the local GP and neighbours and just saying to me in front of them all, Christy, it's okay because your daddy is now with Jesus. And at the time I just thought, well, <laughs> okay, uh, oh, that's a good thing. But um, this doesn't really make that much sense to me. I don't. What does that actually mean that he's with Jesus? And at that point, it just sparked that question of knowing Jesus not only changes your todays, but it ultimately affects my tomorrows as well. And then I thought, I need to take this more seriously. Up till that point, God had been somebody, you know, when you'd been naughty, that you'd kind of like chat to and just say sorry. And then you carry on on your way until you mess up and then come back again. Mm. And it was at that point when my dad died that I thought, okay, I need to I need to take God more seriously. But I have these questions. And it was almost there was this dual tension of. I want to know more about God because I see the difference that he is, he is making in my mum's life and what she says he has done with my dad, but also just a deep-seated anger at how can a loving God allow a 10-year-old's dad just to die suddenly, especially when you've had really bad kind of, I mean, bad's a strong word, but unhelpful father figures in the past. And so... For me, that started this kind of quest of having these big, um, just big emotions that I was trying to work through and big questions. And then being very frustrated, actually, by Christians who just kind of said, oh, don't worry about it, just have faith and believe. And that alienated me even more from them. 
and it alienated me more from God as well. So it was only really when I started to read the works of C.S. Lewis and there's an apologist in the States called um, Bill William Lane Craig and that I started to see, oh yeah, you can be a Christian and keep your mind. <laughs> this isn't a... Um, Blind sort yes. of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm. I don't... I don't have to leave my, my brain at the door mm. in order to say that Jesus is Lord. Mm. The, the two are beautifully interwoven. Mm. And so I think that was the start of um, my questioning. And then when I was about 15 or 16, the, uh, the Lord, I mean, just by his spirit, just made me aware that I was part of the problem, but also enlarged my view of Jesus, that I wanted him. So I don't know how that worked. You mm. know, it's... Mm. It, it was a, a deep spiritual thing, but it was through the, the death of my dad and having those questions and God putting these people in my life and particularly my mum and these books and um, that the spirit was at work revealing Christ to me. Yeah, amazing. And what, if somebody say, why do you follow Christ today? Mm. What would your sort of short answer to that be? Why do you follow him? Because there's no one better. <laughs> I... I can't, I can't imagine life without him, and I see no better alternative. And he makes sense of my humanity. He makes sense of my desires, my life experience, even my suffering. It's Jesus has suffered. He knows what it's like to be a human being. Um, but more than that, being God, having taken on flesh, he's able to subsume that suffering and weave it into something better through ultimate resurrection life. So he gives me hope. And literally, I don't know anything better. I mean, I don't know if this um, this is too much to say, but not long ago, um, a close friend of mine who doesn't know the Lord was um, wanting me to marry him. And he was like, you know, you're lonely, but I've got a big family. Um, you don't have that much money. I mean, Christian ministry, you don't get paid that much. But he's... He's loaded. Um, you know, you don't have love or intimacy. Um, marry me. And he's an amazing man. And, you know, I wrestled with that. You know, oh, my goodness, it feels like I've just been offered everything that I've ever wanted. And it was at that time that the scriptures really came to life for me in a new way. That, like, no, it's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere, truly. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And I, there is no one better. I mean, even if I had everything, who else has the words of eternal life? I can't go anywhere else. Whatever that means for me in this life, Jesus is with me. Amazing. Now, uh, you mentioned you moved to the UK at seven. Uh, you were educated in Leicestershire. Uh, and then you went to Birmingham University. Um, why did you study theology and philosophy? Why that subject? <laughs> That's a great question. My mum also had the same question. <laughs> She's like, study medicine, do law. Why are you doing like this job, which has the lowest kind of um, employment rates at the end of it? And I think at the time, as an 18-year-old, it was the subject that I just enjoyed the most at, um, at grammar school. But also, again, I think I've always just had this... Uh, I've always had this curiosity about life in the world and these big questions. And I, for me, philosophy and theology fused together 
my desire to understand our father's world better and in, and encourage me to ask more questions so that was something which to some extent in the church I'd been told don't ask your questions and here I was kind of encouraged to ask those questions and of course you know in, in liberal arts kind of university background that can lead to all kinds of different avenues and yeah. I dabbled with the French existentialists for a bit and that um, of a wonderful evocative way of describing life in a meaningless world but I can't read it for too long because I start to kind of feel that weight of absurdity um, so I really quite enjoyed that and then again I think as a Christian for me I, I wanted to know more about what it means to know and love the Lord. And I wanted to explore, yeah, what is the relationship between philosophy and theology? Because for many, philosophy is seen as kind of the, the dark arts. <laughs> you know, theology is the queen of the sciences. Um, this is where true knowledge is found in, in theological exploration. So philosophy is just this man-made enterprise, you know, by which you ask all these questions and you get these pagan answers. But actually, I mean, philosophy, we're doing it all the time, every day. This is, a philosophy helps us to um, understand the scriptures better as we apply philosophical reflection upon the texts. I mean, that's what the key doctrines of the church are. They are philosophical reflections on, on what we read in God's word and applied to, to daily life. I mean, that's why we have, you know, the doctrine of God and um, systematics and all these things help us to better engage with God's word rather than bring us away from, from it. Very good, very good. Now, um, you clearly loved this so much that you were <laughs> awarded an academic scholarship to do a master's in, uh, religious, in religion and ethics. And during this time, you worked for two organisations, uh, Friends International, and also a little bit later on the staff with an organisation called UCCF. Tell me about your work with these um, organisations. And, and also, I believe you also went on mission uh, abroad with UCCF. I did, yeah. I had the best time with UCCF. I was with them for eight years. Three years I spent as a staff worker based in Birmingham and kind of travelling around the local Christian unions. For those that don't know what UCCF stands for, what, what, what does UCCF stand for? I always get this wrong. I mean, I worked with them for eight years. Is that <laughs> Universities and Colleges Christian Fellowship. Right. And that's groups of Christian students on campuses who want to make Jesus known to their friends. So they'll do organised events together, weekly um, seeker Bible studies, and they'll meet together as well to refresh themselves in the Word, to fuel them for mission. So I, as a staff worker, was meeting up regularly with committees of these um, student unions, of the Christian union, and um, they're linked in with the student union of the, the universities, most of them are, and helping them to think through how to most effectively engage with the campus and share the good news of Jesus. And so I loved that. So I was doing that for three years, and then um, for five years after that, I was an assistant team leader in the Midlands, which meant that I was involved in setting the strategic vision for mission in the West Midlands and supervising staff workers and relay workers, which is our year-long year discipleship programme with UCCF. So really investing in students, young graduates, staff, and together as a, as a team, sharing Jesus to those who don't yet know him. So yeah, part of that, I spoke at 
um, evangelistic events and um, led training events in um, evangelism and how to best communicate and share our lives with the watching world and also had the privilege of being involved in a number of mission teams as well. One of them was, I went for four years, I set up a, a link with uh, a link with people in Vietnam. I, I can't say more than that, but um, it was a wonderful experience mm. of seeing what life is like for for students and then taking a team of students from the UK and helping them kind of see what their peers and Christian brothers and sisters, how they are living their lives in a, in a close, I mean, there aren't enclosed countries with God, but, you know, inverted commas, closed yeah. Yeah. Um, area. And then we held... Um, English lessons and evangelistic camps and things like that. So yeah. that was wonderful. I mean, it was it was so humid. Literally, you walked out the airport and just hit by this wall of humidity. Um, but I had a great time and was just deeply. One of the things about missions is that it just reminds us that God is already at work there. He doesn't need you, <laughs> and you just see the variety of of, of life in God's family. Mm-hmm in these different nations and cultures. So I, I was very thankful for that. So that was four years in Vietnam, and then I did a year in Moldova and joining in there with the um, the equivalent of UCCF in Moldova wow. too and taking a team to, to the, It's there. interesting. Um, Precept um, has a very, very um, wide ministry in Moldova, would you believe? Mm. Uh, in fact, my boss is from Moldova. <laughs> he mentioned, yeah. Yeah, and he's like a um, he's like a modern day St. Paul, really. I mean, literally traveling around the world, uh, discipling, teaching people how to study God's word in, mm. in an amazing, amazing way. Uh, but it's a poor country, isn't it, Moldova? And, yeah. uh, but there's a real thirst for the Lord there. Now, um, in 2018, you started a PhD <laughs> in philosophical theology with a focus on epistemology. Yes, now, I have to confess um, to those listening, I did not have a clue what epistemology was. It probably shows my ignorance. Um, so um, what is epistemology mm-hmm. and how is this relevant to us today? Hmm. Yeah, epistemology is the, the study of knowledge, quite literally. And it's in the, in the Western kind of academy, it's thinking through what is knowledge, what, what qualifies true knowledge, how do we know what we know. Um, and so I'm kind of looking into how do we account for the act of coming to know something. So the guy that I'm focusing on is a person called Michael Polanyi, who did a lot of work as a scientist to begin with and paved the way for um, Nobel Prize winners, actually. He was in conversations with Einstein and... Um, yeah, with Einstein and actually disproved one of his theories, which later came to be shown to be true over Einstein's, which was incredible. And then basically, as he was part of this scientific community, um, where, of course, you're always wanting to apply the scientific method, he then thought, well, how does this account for discovery in the first place? So before we codify knowledge, before we're able to say, okay, yes, um, you know, gas does something at a particular temperature how do we actually account for our coming to know processes <laughs> and what so often it's the whole you know when you do science the scientist is a unbiased objective bystander and instead he's saying no you're intimately involved in the knowing act you do bring your biases but you're also bringing your body into that as well and so he's kind of 
rooting knowledge in these subsidiary clues which we indwell which I mean it sounds fancy but really it's it's how we learn to ride a bike for example and mm. it's how we fall in love it's this is a very human aspect of coming to know which is rooted in these bodily clues and so epistemology is really important especially for us as Christians because often I think we're tempted to think well truth knowledge they're these abstract notions which we can leave the experts to kind of think about you know over there yeah Mm. many espressos kind of thing (laughs) um but what I love about what I'm studying is how how truth is a a lived reality this forms our daily life and our coming to know processes as I said are as normal as learning how to drive a car and putting one's makeup on or um, learning how to climb some of these amazing hills and mountains that we see at the moment in Cornwall. There's a there's a real human aspect to it. And so that's what I'm exploring and really loving is how can I bring the academic discussion of what is knowledge to a everyday lived experience. And so there's work already being done in this by Esther Meek in the States. She talks about covenant epistemology, whereas as we... Um, humble ourselves um, posture ourselves in humility before reality the trying God he will reveal himself to us there's this kind of covenantal um, understanding between us as persons uh, and coming to know something so it's yeah it's, it's I love this I love this area mm. and as I say it's it's about riding a bike it's as easy as that Mm, mm. but it's important for us as christians to not divorce our minds from our spirituality and of course about coming to know god right you know that whole process well how does that happen how does that well how do you know that you know god Mm. you know so i guess all those sorts of questions questions i yeah yeah absolutely fascinating um now also in 2018 you you took up uh, a part-time work with oak hill theological college um what does your work involve with them Mm. Yes, I started last September. I am a part-time research and pastoral fellow. And so for two th- or three days a week, I have the privilege of meeting up with female students at Oak Hill and just providing some kind of pastoral support for them. You know, any kind of academic, theological education is demanding. And it's, it's just such a privilege to, to meet with these female students and share our lives read God's word together, talk about how their studies are impacting their their day-to-day relationship with God and with others. And then for the other part of that part-timeness, I teach uh, philosophy at an undergraduate level and also a module at a master's level as well in epistemology. So it's a bit of teaching, a bit of partial support. And then wonderfully, I mean, my, my dear brother and boss, Dan Strange, also releases me to come to I mean, mm. festivals like the one that we're at at the moment, Creation Fest, and um, others where I can kind of share the good news of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, so you're you're sort of an itinerant apologist. Uh, you lead university Christian missions, for instance. I believe you're going to Oxford and Cambridge um, <laughs> soon. Why uh, did I say yes? <laughs> uh, what, what, where are people scratching these days? Uh, I mean, you know, I'm reminded, I've, I've recently read uh, um, D.L. Moody's uh, biography, mm. and uh, he went to Oxford and Cambridge, 
Uh, and he, in fact, he wasn't very well educated at all, unlike you. <laughs> wow. And he was quite fearful about going to Oxford and Cambridge. And they sort of laughed him out of court initially when he arrived because of his accent and, you know, who's this guy that's not very educated? But by the end of the week, he'd won them all round. And those that were most objecting to him actually came to uh, apologise to him. Some of them ended up wow. being on the mission field. Incredibly. <laughs> so how do you... That gives me hope. <laughs> now, clearly, these guys are, are bright. Uh, you know, what are these sort of... What are the most challenging subjects that you're asked to debate, you're quizzed about? Mm. How do you go about that? Yeah, there's been a little bit of a shift, I think, recently. So I think in the past 10 to 15 years, particularly with the rise of militant atheism, there was a very strong emphasis on, you know, the absurdity of Christian belief just generally. And so you'd get a lot of people who'd come along just to either laugh you, you know, out of the the marquee um just to heckle you at the back of yeah. the um, the tent rather than really engage with the issues but i think now we're moving into a different time where militant atheism in some ways has done us a great favor as christians is sharpen up yeah and also many have seen the just the devastating logical consequences of it and particularly with peter singer recently and the um, what he's been saying about post-birth um, babies and whether or not they they should be killed after birth. Do they have rights, personhood, all of these things? So, and many people sure are just quite disgust, disgusted really? by that. Yeah. So not abortion, but post-birth abortion, effectively. Yeah, so it's kind of talking about um, when, does, when does a human life begin, like personhood in particular, and what's the difference between a baby being in utero mm. and aborting that baby and then literally it mm. passing through the mother's um, womb and yeah. being birthed does that what's what's the difference between being outside the womb and inside the womb and up to about six months or so the the baby doesn't have that many differences in terms of its development and what it means to be a human um, and so many people have read his and I, I deeply respect Peter Singer so there's a lot of his work he's done such great um, work on animal rights and um, rights and just generally I very deeply respect his work but in this particular area others have kind of looked on and said well if this is the logical consequences then those who who would call themselves agnostic or seeking but you know not Christian have kind of just distance themselves from from these kind of hardline positions because they're seeing where it leads and that's just unlivable. Um, so yeah, some of the big kind of questions I think that we're seeing today are based around like sexual preferences, sexual morality, but also as I say, militant atheism has created this space now where so many are longing for more, but they don't know how to how to ground that longing for more. So people in their early 20s will be exploring like hedonism, you know, live and drink today, be merry, tomorrow we die. Yes. To fill that God-shaped hole. And later in your 30s, that kind of turns to mindfulness or yoga, you know, as a way of connecting with the universe or something divine, something beyond yourself. And then, you know, people 40s later are thinking about gratitude. How can I be thankful? So there's this... Um, I think more uh, we're seeing this hunger in people to want to connect with something that's real 
and true and just existentially satisfying that makes sense of us as persons and particularly as we've gone through this period of material consumption and, and wealth and actually finding that doesn't satisfy us you know you can have the latest apple product and yet still be unconnected and that's what I really love about engaging with students on campuses is that it's my former boss Richard Cunningham and others used to say that it's the last best chance that students have of hearing the gospel because you just harden after university you're not as open to ideas and discussing them and because they're in a questioning setting aren't they in university the learning that as you say the minds may be open to that ideally yeah 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 um why is the word of God important to you? Hmm. Oh, where do we start with that one? <laughs> I... Well, it's what's wonderful is I talk to folks about this. Every person has got a different response to that. But I think, I think for the purpose of the podcast, you know, we want to encourage people to get into the word of God. That's what we do as a ministry. And so to hear someone's reflections on, well, why is it important, actually? You know, I can read all sorts of books, but why, you know, why the Bible? Why, why is that important? Mm. Um, and certainly in my own life, and obviously we know the lives of many others, it, it's crucially important. Um, mm. But why is it important to you? I, I think at putting it very in a minimalistic, minimalistically, it's God's voice. The, the Bible is, is God's love letter to me. That when I, when, I read, when I read his word, I am seeing in some way God himself. I'm seeing Jesus. I'm seeing, I'm hearing his voice calling me that day to trust him. And so the, the word of God is, is important to me because it's my daily bread. As I was saying earlier on, where else do I go for the words of eternal life? And, you know, um, what's that word? I have to confess, you know, I, I don't spend as much time in his word as I should. I want to spend more and more time. I think we could all agree with you on that. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel it when, I'm not, when I haven't. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's easy... It's easy to kind of go through the motions, isn't it? And particularly if you if you're able to kind of blag your way through certain things, and and then it just creates this kind of hole and divide in me, where it's just it's an untenable that the person that you're trying to be, and then where your heart is, and you feel that that rift between the two. And so I see how God's word really is my daily bread. Mm. That. I'm fed, I'm nourished for mm. the day. Mm. And and I there's just so there's just so many depths to his word as well. So I never get bored of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I can read the same passage again and again and the spirit will apply or bring to mind just different nuances or things that I'd just overlooked before or just quickly passed by. Mm. And I find I find that as I read God's word, it's not me reading his word, he's reading me. <laughs> and that, that there is nothing like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is nothing like it. This is a book unlike any other. Yeah. Yeah. And because it's God's word, it's, God's, it's God breathed, 
And as one of the reformers, Calvin, you know, wrote, Christ comes close to us in the scriptures. As I read God's word, I'm meeting Christ Mm. as I'm pointed to him and as he comes to me kind of through his word by his spirit. So I... It's everything to yeah, me, yeah. and I want it to be more to me. Amen. And do you, so, I mean, do you have a, do you have like a routine or, or sort of, well, actually I, I get up early or in the evening or, or mm. I seek to guard this time. How do you, how, how does that work practically? Because obviously you're busy, you know, you're, 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 you're speaking lots, you're, and it's very easy, isn't it, to, to as you said, to, to say, well, actually, I don't need to spend that time or as much time because I'm doing this or I'm doing that. But actually, quite, you know, the Lord wants that intimacy with us alone, doesn't he? Mm. So how do you do that practically? Yeah, I think a number of ways. When I'm busy and I, and I have less time to really like look into the implications of what I'm reading, I really love Spurgeon day, day and night, uh, morning and evening devotions. And so in the morning, the first thing that I'll read is this short kind of um, scripture portion that, that Spurgeon's outlined for the day and then his explication of that. And I love his language. So his language is so hearty and evocative and it's, uh, it's, not, it's not mechanical. I think our language today can be quite mechanical as a result of you know, the Enlightenment and all of these other things. But reading him is a real... Uh, it expands my heart. Mm. And so I really love reading his reflections on the scripture. So when I don't have that much time for myself to kind of reflect on God's words, I read somebody's trusted, tried um, reflection on God's words for themselves. So I've, I've really enjoyed Spurgeon's morning and evening devotions. And I'll often, if I'm traveling, for example, and I've got my Bible, but I can't take large books with me, I just take pictures of it for the, mm. for the day and then mm. come back to it. Um, if I'm not on the road, then often what I do is I just, I just read the Bible. So, <laughs> I mean, that sounds, in a way, that sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? I just mm. read the Bible. But um, <laughs> recently I've just been going through the Gospels and just one by one, I've just finished Matthew again. And... I've, I just, the Lord has given me a new love of uh, the Gospel of Matthew. There's so much in there that I hadn't appreciated before. And I've just been moved deeply as I've read about God's compassion and, uh, and, and the particular emphases on each, in each Gospel and thinking about why the author has written this and to whom they've written it and what the main message is and how that applies to us. I really enjoyed being enjoying that. And I think because I may have a bit more of a, um, I don't like the word, I mean, analytical, that's a good, it's a good word. But questioning. Maybe. Yeah, I think the curiosity thing. So yeah, sometimes yeah. when I read something and I'm like, oh, that's an interesting, in the English, that's quite an interesting phrase. Well, that's very, that's a very deliberate construction. And I remember, um, others saying like Pete May at Cordeo and others that you know the parchment is expensive there isn't that much ink there's a reason why they've used these particular words and that's just stuck with me so Mm. when I've been intrigued by a particular sentence or what Paul is saying I'll often then go on to Blue Letter Bible which brings out the Greek and think a bit more deeply about it yeah fantastic and um, if you're struggling with studying the word of God and um, 
then I would encourage you to connect. You talk about Matthew's Gospel there, mm. you know, as a ministry. In fact, we've got we've got two separate studies on Matthew's Gospel. Um, do contact us because we have got some really wonderful resources that will practically help you to to get into the Word of God and to be in that place to be able mm. to hear hear God speaking to you. So please feel free to contact us. Now, do you have a favourite book of the Bible <laughs> or character, maybe? Oh, now you're asking. Um, it's usually the last thing I've just read um, or the person that I've just read about. I, oh, I can't, I can't narrow it down. I think, again, I, I'm more, for me, I resonate with the experiences um, and some of the existential angst that kind of people bring to Jesus than the actual kind of persons themselves. So recently, as I was just saying, as I've been reading Matthew's Gospel, I've just resonated with the crowds who have come to him, who are, you know, sheep without a shepherd, and the crowds who have gathered before him who who are who want to be healed. Like they're there because they're sick and they're needy and they don't know where else to go and they've heard about Jesus. And there was just this this beautiful kind of couple of phrases where Jesus was moved in compassion and he he healed them as he was kind of passing through and that's I mean it's 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 it reminded me of my neediness my my poverty my my lack my complete and utter lack and just Jesus because he's so kind coming to me in that so I think there isn't a particular I mean I love the book of Hosea and you know, how, how as a prophet, you know, God uses him to mirror his own activity with Israel and, um, you know, I'll take for yourself a, a wife of whoredom yeah. and, um, yeah. incredible, but yeah. I'm going to bring you into you, the desert. Who would have thought that God was going to say to someone to do that, eh? All right. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I'm more and more pointed to Jesus as I read about these encounters and his character and my 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 just my deep love and appreciation mm. and need for him mm. that yeah, yeah. that grows actually with time it doesn't diminish the mm. more i read the word i don't mm. think oh i don't need you now because mm. i've now mm. had my time mm. so it sort of layers and learning isn't it you get an understanding and then as you continue to read and see and god opens one's mind to, to see you get greater depths of understanding about jesus yes favorite bible verse Hmm. Favorite Bible verse. Where do I go? You know, I think <laughs> it might be. Um, uh, I can't do it, Nigel. I can't. There's. <laughs> oh, you're the first person so ever on the podcast to say that. <laughs> Oh, I can't do it. Can't do it. It's all it's all so good that I feel like to choose one. I can't. You can choose mine if you want. One Thessalonians yours? two verse thirteen. Oh, remind me what does that say? Paul writing to the Thessalonians uh, says, "I thank God that when you received the word of God, you accepted it not as the word of men, but mm-hmm. for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who wow. believe." Wow. Love that verse. Okay, now I've, now I thought about it. Uh, it might be like Ephesians three, like fourteen to seventeen. It's for this reason I bow the knee before our Father um, on heaven and earth from whom um, the name derives. So that he talks about being filled to the full measure of God and having the love 
um, love of Christ in us. I'm trying to, I can't remember yeah. that, yeah, yeah, the yeah. datum right now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that spoke to me beautifully. Okay, wonderful. Now, um, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Uh, clearly, you are mixing with um, p- people of influence, going to Bible colleges and to um, speaking into people's lives. So you need our prayers. Thank you. Um, and I pray that you continue that, that wonderful relationship that clearly you have with the Lord and that through that, uh, God does, as Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, immeasurably more yeah. than you can ask or think. So thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Bible and Me podcast from Precept Ministries UK. By leaving a rating or review, you can help us to reach a wider audience with the good news of God's grace and plans for his people. But otherwise, until next time, we hope you have a blessed week from all of us here at PMUK.